got a job yeah, doing the night shift. So I, I loaded newspapers and trucks from uh, 10 p.m. until like 1 a.m. and then drove those trucks out to meet all the carriers from like 1 to one to three or one to four, and then went home, slept for a couple hours, went to the office, started building the business, uh, you know, from nine to five. Welcome to Hearts and Carts, the CPG podcast, the podcast about the people behind the products that are winning hearts and filling carts. This cast is for anyone with an interest in the world of consumer products. We're your hosts, Justin Osborne and Alex Hill, and our mission is to bring you weekly content that helps you be a better and more informed CPG professional. Welcome back to another episode of Hearts and Carts. Today, we got a really exciting one for you. Alex, who's joining us? Today, we're meeting with Mike Fada, who is the founder of Manitoba Harvest Hemp Foods, the world leader in the hemp food space, grew that business and sold it off and has been working as chief executive officer of Fada and Associates for about five years now, investing in a ton of different businesses. He has a lot of great insight to share and does a lot to give back to the founder and entrepreneur community. So Without further ado, we, we can start moving into the conversation. Don't forget to like, subscribe, follow us on our various social media platforms, and throw us any reviews on either Spotify or off Apple Podcasts. Thanks, everybody. Let's go. Sundown in the Paris of the prairie. We kings of all treasures buried. Mike, how are you? Doing pretty well, thanks. How about yourself? I'm good. You got the, you have the perfect podcast setup. You're good to go. Yeah, you better believe I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had uh, Jake Carl's on the show yesterday, and he told us to call you Nine Figure Fata. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, oh, that's what uh, I sent. He sent me a uh, he sent me a text with the photo. I didn't. Uh, I was like, "What's going on?" Uh, but explains it. Yeah, more sense now. How yeah. goes it over there in Winnipeg? Keeping uh, warm. Yeah, you know, it's not crazy. It's going to get crazy in the next week or something, like winter uh, already, but uh, yeah, managing, sure. Awesome, awesome. Yeah. Well, welcome to uh, welcome to Hearts and Carts. For us, this podcast is about helping people kind of early in their career, guide themselves, learn from people who've had great experiences, and, you know, someone like yourself has a ton to offer. So uh, really happy yeah. you could be here to join us. Yeah, happy to do it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so quick intro for listeners. We have Mike Fad on the podcast today. He is the founder of Manitoba Harvest Hemp Foods and is also the CEO of Fada and Associates that works with portfolio companies like Midday Squares, which is the hat he's rocking right now, Nuts for Cheese, Love Good Fats, Dream Pops, Bloom, uh, and a number of others. So he's got a, a huge lens into the world of CPG and startup and natural foods and was really a pioneer in the space when you think about Manitoba Harvest back in 1998, a product I use today in my in my shake. And I was just telling Alex I use on peanut butter toast for my son pretty frequently to get some get some health in him. So a, a really great product. So excited to hear from from you about your journey and how you got to where you are. Yeah. Uh, where do you want me to start? Let's let's start with I think you have a pretty interesting story or pretty interesting why. Um, on how you got into the health food space. So maybe you can start from there. Your your journey sort of towards personal health and then how you transitioned that into a, into a business. Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't educated about health uh, when I was young and, um, you know, grew up with a single poor mom. And so ate a lot of hamburger helper and uh, mac and cheese and just kind of low, low, low quality food if I look back. And, um, and uh, yeah, I found myself uh, when I was 18 years old, weighing 300 pounds and being sick and tired all the time. And uh, one day I became sick and tired of being sick and tired and decided to do something about it. And that started my my health and weight loss journey. And I started working out, but uh, I started researching uh, nutrition and the no fat diet was popular at that time. And I started eating no fat and losing weight, but quickly learned that, you know, you need, you need fat, you need those essential fatty acids. And, 
and that's what got me interested in hemp. I always thought hemp was cool, but uh, you know, as soon as I learned that the hemp seed is one of the most nutritious seeds, um, it was kind of a dual passion for me. It was like my personal health lifestyle that 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 uh, that it resonated with, and and then I thought that you know it would be cool to get into business and and try to make something of it and and resurrect. You know, that was the first year that hemp was legalized again in Canada, in 1998. That like you know it, it needed to come back. You know, there's there's a force driving it, and so that's what got me in the business. Was that your first kind of foray into the business world or had you done? Any- yeah, it, it was officially as an entrepreneur, but I um, I dropped out of school uh, at 13 and at 14, I started working uh, full-time um, uh, doing construction and do, doing a number of kind of jobs from 14 to, to 20, uh, 21, we started the business. And so I had experience, you know, in construction, doing um you know, doing quality work and doing customer service on the job. I, I, by the time I was 18 or so, I was a foreman of a crew and had, had four or five guys reporting to me. So, you know, learned some of the management skill of motivating people to, to do, get the work done. And so I had some of those, some of those skills, but as far as, you know, uh, starting a business and understanding how a business works from the legal side and from the financial and accounting side and, and then, and then, you know, obviously, food and beverage CPG is kind of one of the toughest businesses to get in because of regulatory and packaging and logistics, supply chain, retail, consumer marketing, all that stuff. All of it was uh, learned on the, uh, on the job. Just a few things to figure out. Yeah. Well, you know, 25 years later, I can look back and say, I, I have a, I can't turn those things off now. They're, they're part of me. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. uh, and that's why I like, uh, mentoring and sharing some of that, uh, some of those lessons. Cause, um, uh, you know, it's a fascinating business to be in food. People got to eat, uh, and, yeah. and, and, uh, uh, forever they're going to have to eat. So you make a good high quality food product and it's a, it could be a fabulous business. Yeah. yeah. I love it. Yeah. We were, we were with, uh, Mark Samuel the other week and we were talking, you, you mentioned, the lack of education, I guess, I think you're a bit older than Justin and I, but we were talking about the marketing on health and, and kind of the nineties. And when I was growing up, like you mentioned hamburger helper, that was like a regular yeah. in my household. And I just think about how, how hard it was for, you know, the, that generation to really navigate and how much progress we've actually made. And I know there's a ways to go. And some of the products we're going to talk about that you guys are working on now uh, in your mentoring, but it's come a long way from from back then. Yeah, you know, as it, we we you know, I'm 46, so I grew up th- through that time through the uh, through the 80s and 90s. It was like um, we were sold what marketers wanted uh, people yeah. to buy, you know, and yeah. and and at that time, companies were were processing food for longer shelf life for cheaper ingredients, all these things. And then, and then you'd get sold that from a marketer standpoint where, you know, as soon as social media became more popular and people had more access to information, true information, then, then, then the real story got out or a secondary story. And, and that, I think I've, I've watched that over the last, you know, two decades drive consumers interest in, Oh, you know, I can, I can take control of my health. I, I, you know, a large amount of people like I want to optimize my my health, and I can do that. Uh, uh, the biggest part, obviously, through food and and like what you put in your body and on your skin and stuff. But uh, yeah, it's come uh, it's come a long way, and I and I think that consciousness is kind of there. Although our society is uh, is is more metabolically unhealthy than it ever has been. Uh, I think the latest stat was like almost ninety percent of people are metabolically unhealthy if you if you test them for, uh, you know, and that's overweight, obesity, diabetes, all the kind of illnesses and disease. Uh, um, so that, you know, there's, there's a, there's a long way to go to make this world a healthier place, but, uh, I'm yeah. optimistic that, uh, you know, the natural and organic food community is the, is the place to do it. Yeah. Brandon Brazier used to say overfed and undernourished a lot. And that really hit home. Like that's exactly what, what our problem is, right? We're eating yeah. a lot. It's just not the right things. Yeah. We can all feel that. Like if you can go and you can eat a whole loaf of white bread with whatever you want, but then you, your body's still starved and yeah. you're like, you, you got to eat more and you got to eat more. Yeah. And, uh, and so, and then the opposite is true. If you eat a very nutrient dense diet, um, I found, you know, then, then the mind is satiated and you, and, and you turn off yeah. that kind of the cravings and stuff. So that's kind of the best way to, uh, to attack it and kind of, uh, you know, these juice smoothie, like, uh, soups, uh, you know, highly nutritious, uh, foods that, uh, you can get, a, you can, you can just load yourself up and satiate yourself. Yeah. Totally. So back and back up to Mike in his early twenties, like how how you decided you wanted to do this? How what was what was kind of your thought process and how you how you attacked it? 
you know, we had a couple things going on. So um, there's two other co-founders to Manitoba Harvest. Um, they had been working a lot to uh, Martin and Alex. They had been working to lobby to legalize hemp. And so when hemp became legal, there was another, there was a business that, that um, uh, was set up to farm and, and, um, and, um, and start making product. And it was actually a publicly traded company, consolidated growers and processors. I actually started a business before Manitoba, Red River Valley Hemp Company, um, and created the Manitoba Harvest brand. Um, and so I was, I was just buying product. I bought, I bought, and it was, this was very short. It was like six months, uh, bought the first, um, manufacturing of, of hemp seed oil and, uh, and then made the Manitoba Harvest brand and, and, uh, and walked it across the street to my, to the health food store across my mom's place that I was shopping at already and, and, and convinced Marvin, the uh, owner of the store after like pestering him for a couple of weeks to, to sell the product. And, and, um, and then I sent some of my gym buddies in there to go and buy the product. And we kind of started that cycle and, uh, you know, and then, and then the two, you know, consolidated growers and processors went, it was, it, it, uh, it failed as a company, but, uh, um, afterwards, Martin and Alex and I got together and, and, uh, and, and really formed, um, fresh hemp foods, which really commonly was known as Manitoba harvest. Uh, um, and then they, you know, we, uh, we built it, you know, one, one farmer at a time, uh, uh, up to 75,000 acres of hemp and one store at a time up to like 16,000, uh, retail stores. And, um, just a lot of a tremendous amount of sweat equity, uh, building community and, and, uh, and really educating consumers and and the trade about why they wanted to why they wanted to sell why they wanted to buy and and eat uh, hemp food products so so for anyone I mean it's a pretty established brand now you mentioned 16,000 retail stores but if anyone hasn't heard of the brand maybe just a quick spiel on, on what Manitoba harvest is yeah Manitoba harvest is the the global leader in in hemp food manufacturing and 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 brand so uh, the company still uh, is now and now it's part of uh, Tilray um, which is the largest cannabis company in the world. Um, uh, Manitoba Harvest has two manufacturing facilities in Manitoba that uh, total about 80,000 square feet, um, is uh, is certified to the highest uh, food safety quality standard, BRC uh, AA+, um, and, uh, and, then, and works with a network of growers to to grow uh, hemp seed and then, and then manufacture those products in, in, in the facility, hemp hearts, hemp oil, hemp protein powders, and then a number of other products like cereals and bars and stuff, uh, and then selling it out to, um, into the retail network in Canada, the U S and then, and then internationally as well. Um, uh, and then also has an ingredient, uh, division, um, that sells, um, hemp food ingredients to other food manufacturers. Cool. So I was reading uh, a little bit of your, your history. And at one point you were like, you were working in a factory while getting this off the ground. So tell us about that grind and like the resilience that would have built up. I, I can't, you, and it was overnight, right? Like a newspaper factory, like doing production or something. Yeah. 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 When we first started the business, you know, I, I didn't, I, we didn't have a lot of money starting the business. So I, I started mental harvest with, it was originally $5,000, but then we, Martin and Alex and I just put $10,000 in. And yeah. um, so we had $30,000 and, uh, and we spent like 27,000 of it on an oil press uh, to start pressing hemp seed oil. And, um, and so just didn't have a lot of cash, but I, I had, um, I'd been working construction before that had a little bit of money saved up enough for kind of a couple months of, uh, of, uh, flexibility. But yeah, I, I worked at the Winnipeg free press, which is a, a local newspaper, um, yeah. got a job yeah, doing the night shift. So I, I loaded newspapers and trucks from uh, 10 PM until like 1 AM and then drove those trucks out to meet all the carriers from like one to one to three or one to four, and then went home, slept for a couple hours, went to the office, started building, <laughs> building the business, uh, you know, from nine to five. And then, and so I, I did that for, you know, almost a year. And then, uh, uh, by that time, the end of the year, I, I, um, I, I, I had enough savings, uh, you know, from before and, and from, and from the newspaper just to give myself a, uh, a bridge. Cause I didn't, I didn't, uh, didn't take a paycheck from the company. Uh, wasn't in a position to pay me, um, until like two years, uh, after starting the business. Got it. So I, I think it's, you know, it's a lesson there for, I tell all entrepreneurs, like yeah, you, yeah. You, you go out there and take your shot, but the best way to take your shot is if you have a cushion. Um, it's no different than even when we start growing the business, you want to, ideally you want a 12 month, if not 18 month runway where you could just focus on and execute and, and make something of the business. Hard yeah. to do that. Hard to do that. If you're, um, if you don't have enough cash resources to kind of, for your, for, to, you know, for your livelihood, even if it's just eating ramen and paying your rent kind of thing, you know, you, you, yeah. you need, you need some of those transition dollars for sure. So, so acquired by Tilray in 2019, right. Founded in 1998. 
maybe walk us through some of the milestones. So I'm, I'm sure early on, right, to your point, like going across the street to your local health food store, having to pester them, hemp was a, a pretty new product, right? I think it's even still relatively new, right, uh, for, for most people. So, you know, what were some of the different milestones that that helped you guys get to where you were, some of the big wins along the way? Yeah, a tremendous amount of them. I, you know, I just for for... You know, it took us five years to get to a million dollars in sales. Uh, and then and then from year five to year 10, we went from a million to 10 million in sales. And then from year 10 to 20, we, we grew from 10 to 100 million. So basically $10 million wow. a year. Wow. Um, you know, in the early days, um, you know, the we had enough headwinds. Like a big one was uh, when we launched in the US, um, you know, early on, the second, third year in the business, we thought that, uh, it, uh, you know, that was going to be a big windfall for us because uh, there's a bigger market there. And, um, but the DEA declared a war on hemp foods. Uh, and we had, to, we had to take them, we had to take them to court with the, with the Hemp Industry Association. And that was a two and a half year court case. So, like by 2004, when the oh. Ninth Circuit Court, um, ruled in favor of of the hemp industry association. That was a big milestone. Like it, by then, we were doing about a million bucks in sales, uh, maybe one to two. Um, but it was kind of the license for the U.S. to say, okay, hemp's not illegal, and and then that opened the doors a little bit more. Um, you know, by the time that we were, you know, two thousand and eight, when we were nine or ten million dollars in sales, um, is when we we raised venture capital, and uh, you know, that was right in the time of the recession. You know, and yeah. and uh, and and a lot of people were pulling back, we, we, we raised, you know, not a tremendous amount of capital, um, but it was like $3 million. Um, it gave us the ability to, to, can, to double down and, and really, uh, start driving things because more awareness and interest in hemp was happening. And, and a lot of our competitors just didn't have capital. And so they, 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 they either failed or, or they, you know, became subdued because they weren't, uh, they, they weren't taking those risks. And that was like the year after that we launched in Costco, which was just a, a huge milestone and turning point yeah. for the business. It, uh, it really started the, the vertical part of the, of the, of the J curve of growth, like kind of going from our first, we went from 10 million to 20 million in, uh, in a year. Um, and, uh, and that's, you know, at that stage, it just, and then 30 and then 40 and 50, but like, yeah. it was just yeah. huge growth. So yeah. more, more of those mainstream accounts and mainstream acceptance from there, it turned into like, you know, 2013, 14 hemp was, um, was, was the hottest trending product. So like the natural products associations and different industries are like hemp was just up there with, Oh, now, you know, yeah. If 15 years later, hemp is one of the hottest uh, products. Yeah. I, I, uh, I won a tremendous amount of awards uh, with the business. I think there's, uh, I think, 16 of them all together, but, uh, 2014, I won the, uh, EY entrepreneur of the year award, which I thought was a huge milestone, not, not only for me, but for the business that, um, that Ernst and Young, a major accounting group would award, would stamp, would put hemp, uh, in their yeah. roster yeah. because, you know, it, it, up until then as crazy as it was, you know, we were, we were a 30, $40 million business, but people still thought, not sure if I'm going to put my corporate name and hemp, uh, beside yeah. my corporate name and, and, uh, um, you know, all, all those things just, you know, started to really, um, uh, catapult the business to the, uh, to the, to the next level. Yeah. I guess it's, it's a fair point. Like it's already hard enough to educate consumers when you have benefits that are new, but you are facing not just education, like destigmatization at the same time. So it's, yeah, that's why we, 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 yeah, we say our, our marketing, our marketing was pure education, you know, like if you're selling a, a widget or if you're selling a, uh, 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 organic blueberry or something that's kind of known your marketing is, you know, why are you better? Um, why is your, why do you taste better? Whatever, whatever, how you, how your business is better when, when it's like a new category, new industry like hemp was, and, and had such a even negative stigma too. pure education, like what is hemp, you know, and yeah. what is not hemp's not marijuana. Hemp is a seed, yeah. you know, it's a very healthy seed. And so we, we spent just a, a, a considerable amount of our resources just on pure education. Um, and it wasn't until maybe the last number of years, like the, uh, that, that it turned into kind of more traditional marketing, um, just for, you know, um, in Canada, when, when I left the business, our household penetration in Canada was like 10%. So about 10% of Canadian households had, had hemp parts or, or one of our products in them. But in the U S it was, it was like, it was just over 1%, you know? Um, mm, and cool. so there's such a, still such a, a, a room to grow that business in yeah. Canada, but just, you know, and internationally it, it would have been, you know, a point of 1%, right. And so like yeah. it, it, when people say 20 years later, 25 years later, there's still an incredible opportunity for for hemp foods just because most people don't don't know about it, haven't tried it, and don't have it in their in their pantry. And the people that the people that do, I found uh, many are are lifelong customers. Like I've been personally eating five pounds of hemp hearts uh, a month um, for like 20 
24 years now. And uh, I, I don't get paid to say that anymore. You know, I do it yeah. because it, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's nutritious. It makes me feel good. It, it's just a yeah. power, it, you know, it's a power food. What's yeah. your favorite way to eat them? Like shakes or salads? Yeah. Or... yeah. You know, I just, uh, nowadays I, I get a five pound, uh, uh, I get a five pound bag off Amazon and I, I put a pound in a, in a, in a Mason jar and I have it on my counter right beside like salt and pepper. And I, it, it kind of everything, you know, but tr traditionally in a smoothie, you know, in, in salad, uh, on a yogurt bowl, uh, in a stir fry, like it, it's, but I'm not, I'm not a, um, I'm not a sprinkle it on kind of guy. I'm a pour it on kind of guy because yeah. I'm, I'm, re I'm really I'm looking for the um, yeah. for 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 a good dose of of the essential fatty acids and and the plant based protein that it offers. Awesome, awesome. Hey, so over that over that journey, you've probably worn a ton of hats. Like you mentioned, all the different functions you had to learn. What were some of your favorite hats to wear? You've been probably blessed with wearing more hats and having more chances than most people will maybe get in their career. So, what were some of your favorites? Well, I'm probably doing my favorite now. Like I, I like uh, I, I like being at the board level. Like chairman of the board is a is a great place because you can be involved in the strategy, involved in the team building, um, okay. but not have the uh, not 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 have the stress of the day to day operations. But yeah. you look kind of you look kind of in totality in the business. Um, my mom was an accountant, uh, even though I dropped out of school young, I, finance has always been a gift of mine. And so I, I understood finance. I, 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 um, I, you know, I, I, I could put our P and L together and stuff early on. I was also probably cause I work construction. I was, I was in operations. I understood operations, like mm -hmm. how, how we were going to make things. So I, I was, I was probably most fascinated, um, with sales. Cause you know, that's the lifeblood of business, but, uh, yeah. marketing, I, I, I said for many years, um, if I ever went back to school or I would have went to school, I would have loved to go for marketing. Cause I think the, uh, the science and the psychology of marketing, there's just so much, there's so much to learn there. I've, I've been fortunate to learn it by hiring and working with and being around some very, very smart marketing people, uh, and then a, a tremendous amount of time. But if there was some kind of textbook stuff that I would have loved to rewind or have, or whatever, if it was in a different life, uh, it would be marketing. Cause you know, brands are built, businesses are built on what's your vision, what's your mission, how are you communicating that right from, you know, raising capital to acquiring your consumers and, 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 and even rallying and organizing your team. It's all about that kind of marketing, uh, marketing share. Yeah. Love it. Love it. Let's talk a little bit about that. Cause I think that's something that's a hot topic right now for, for people looking to raise capital and stuff. What was that like for you at, at Manitoba Harvest, right? Like the process of raising capital, ultimately, you know, selling the, the company, like what did, what did that look like? You know, walk us through that that process and tell us, you know, what you can tell us. I'm sure there's things yeah. you can't, but I'd love yeah. to hear just how it worked. No, no, for sure. Uh, and, and thankfully, you know, the, the businesses that bought Mantovars were uh, publicly traded. So there's a lot out there on the internet. Just they, they are public disclosure documents. But we... Um, we were a very uh, capital efficient uh, organization. Like they said, the three co-founders put in ten thousand each. It was like thirty thousand um, dollars. But you know, we we were uh, manufacturing was was one of our strategies for success. So a tremendous amount of investment in in plant and operations and equipment. Um, so we did have to raise capital. We we raised uh, three friends and family. I call it two friends and family and one kind of friends and family and sophisticated investors uh, over the first ten years. It was probably about. Um, a million and a half dollars uh, total between those three rounds. So I think the first one was 250K and then and then it was like 500, then it was 750. Um, part of that strategy, uh, the first round, we we brought in 20 uh, farmers um, a, as shareholders and gave them opportunity to invest in the company, which was one of the strategies that gave us a leg up on competition because we had that vertical integration yeah. kind of built built in. So, um, pr you know, kind of proud of that, um, seeing that kind of early and, uh, and then... And then, um, you know, offset that with uh, a tremendous amount of grants. So we were, we became the poster child and I tell, I tell entrepreneurs for sure in Canada, I think a little different in the U S but for sure in Canada, there's like, there's so many grants to be able to get as a new business, as a startup business for, for manufacturing, for, for research and development, for export marketing. And so, um, you know, we took that to um, show, Hey, look, we were, here's the growth of our company. Here's the new uh, team members, employees that we're, we're hiring. And so uh, both the provincial and federal uh, agencies, funding partners really took to us. And, and so lots of grants and then, and then, you know, uh, loans or, or low cost loans and even some like interest-free loans that the, uh, that the federal government had to support manufacturing helped us keep our equity dollars that we raised going towards growth, which I think is the best way and, and use yeah. debt to buy our, our manufacturing, um, equipment and stuff. Yeah. And then, and then there was a, you know, the venture capital, we ended up raising, 
uh, 3 million at first, and then another follow on round of two. So overall, um, it was when I say capital efficient, because it, it was six and a half million dollars of equity capital, um, that was raised, um, you know, plus another probably $8 million between debt and, uh, and grants that, um, to get to our first exit uh, in 2015, when we sold the majority of the company, and that deal was a $132 million um, valuation for the business. Uh, and at that time, we had about um, $10 million of manufacturing assets that we owned. So, uh, you know, it it, um, it it wasn't a lot of capital. Um, we did raise capital, but it wasn't a lot of capital compared to what the hmm. business had built. Uh, and then when we, with our private equity sponsor, uh, uh, Compass Diversified Holdings, um, we um, we had a, a bunch of resources because they were a, a, about a billion dollar fund at that time, and and um, we turned around after we sold majority uh, to them, uh, and uh, and with their support bought uh, Hemp Oil Canada, which was my friend Sean Cruz's company, one of our biggest competitors, uh, which really positioned us even next level um, uh, as a global leader. We had a we had a manufacturing plant, they had one, so all of a sudden the business had two, um, and and a bigger farming base, and they were focused more on ingredient sales. Uh, and so, uh, you know, we were very, we, we were, we were by far the leader in both branded food sales and ingredient sales. And I believe all of that kind of positioned the company, you know, three years later to, to sell the Tilray. And that was a $419 million transaction or, or roughly about four times uh, sales at that time. It's a pretty good three years. Oh. Yeah. Everyone was happy. The private equity company, you know, at first was like, I'm not sure we, we see the, the, future for hemp. And, and I said, I think we're going to be three times bigger in three years. And and we, we, we hit just uh -huh. that, you know, I think the deal should have been 420 million. Uh, but I think some people in PR got a little scared. So they made it, they made it 419. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. You've touched on something that I was interested in uh, when you'd mentioned the 75,000 acres. So you guys didn't obviously own the 75,000 acres. That's all uh, basically all, a partnership, right? Yeah. It's all contract. Uh, so, um, it's done in a lot of uh, ag industries, but we we own the genetics. Uh, so we had the uh, we had the rights to certain genetics that we wanted to grow. That over years we developed to make the best tasting uh, hemp seed, uh, the the largest um, um, uh, yield for the producers, which is important for producers. You know, in hemp it was a shorter flowering crop, so that you know because harvesting uh, some some hemp plants are really tall, so you want the short flowering variety, and so. Um, we, we, we own the genetics and we'd sell those genetics to the farmer. And then, and then part of that contract would, we would buy the grain back from them. So it was a yeah. closed, closed loop production. We, we didn't, we didn't buy anything off, off the open market, um, unless, you know, a really special situation, but we didn't have to own, we didn't have to own the farms, um, by having that control. It was, uh, it, you know, it locked it in for, for, for us. Uh, uh, and then, um, you know, we would, because we were, we got more and more serious about food safety and, uh, and quality certification, uh, our quality team and our operations team, uh, and our really our farm operations team with agronomists and, and, uh, and technicians would go and, and audit the farms to make sure that they had the right kind of equipment to be successful growing hemp for us. And then also support those, uh, farmer partners right from, right from the seeding, uh, all the way through to kind of harvest and, and get it dried in the bin and, and ready to, uh, ready to ship to our facility. Super smart. Makes sense. Did you guys continue to expand? Like you'd mentioned in your, in your, I guess it was your first round, you brought in like 20 farmers. Did you guys continue to offer those types of skin no, in the game opportunities no. much or it didn't much? make sense. It didn't make sense after that. And, and I would yeah. tell people, it doesn't always work that your vendors or your customers are shareholders. Like, uh, I, don't, I don't know if I'd yeah. do it like that again, you know, cause yeah. there is some complexity uh, to that. Uh, so no, it didn't, we, we really, we really built it by just building a solid business opportunity. Like farmers that worked with the company got um, um, had a good amount had had a had a good opportunity to make make a good living growing hemp. Um, they got paid on time. They were clearly communicated with. Like we were easy to do business with for those farmers. And a lot of farmers um, uh, you know, grow commodities because it's it's hard to work one on one with companies. They get burned a lot of times. And in hemp, there was a lot of companies that made a huge amount of promises and uh, and they just didn't deliver. And people had like you know bins full of hemp seed that they couldn't sell. And so yeah, yeah we were we, we became known um, as the reputable company to do business with. And that's why we probably at the business had you know 80, 80 or eighty five percent market share um, and wow. uh, just really outcompeted hundreds of uh, hundreds of different companies that were trying to do the same thing. Awesome. Awesome. So very cool. So, so then, um, you know, after the sale, or I guess, sorry, after the first sale, 
you founded Fat and Associates, and you're you know working with a number of really cool brands. Uh, Midday Squares. We we talked to Jake about all the exciting things we're doing there. Love the product. That thing's just a complete rocket ship. Uh, maybe talk to us about some of the other brands you want to highlight. Two or three of them. What's going on? What you're excited about with them? Yeah. Well, I'd say you know the 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 um. I'll, I'll start with the first piece of success. You know, because my my one of the first businesses after I left Mantua Harvest um, that I invested in and, and ultimately became chair of the board was Soul Cuisine. Um, and Soul Cuisine is one of the oldest plant-based protein companies in, in Canada. Drawer Belshine started back in the uh, in the 90s uh, and helped Drawer um, professionalize his uh, his business and hire his senior management team and and expand the facility and and uh, and did you know a good uh, three years of of work helping him uh, uh, and the team grow that business and and we just sold that in uh, in February 2022, which I think was at the perfect time uh, and it was a 125 million dollar uh, cash transaction. So. Um, that was my third nine-figure exit, and I think yeah, gave yeah. me even a clear playbook of um, you know what we're what's the best way to build. You know, I'm really bullish on manufacturing. Um, you know, novel product like leadership positions, and and uh, and so you know that was the first success out of the out of the portfolio. Um, uh, you know that I didn't start, and 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 I think you know of the ten companies in my portfolio right now, I think probably another five or six have that kind of nine figure exit potential, you know uh, as well. midday squares is is just you know is a rocket ship. Um, a dream pops uh, you know with 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 plant-based frozen novelties and and now other novelties. Um, own mushrooms, which I also was only an investor, but I chaired the board there for three years and helped um and and own mushrooms is kind of like the mantle harvest of the functional mushroom industry owns manufacturing in in Carlsbad, California grows the highest quality organic mushrooms um, and then turns those into both uh, mushroom ingredients uh, and then, and then uh, final mushroom products that are sold in, you know, thousands of stores. Um, and so, yeah, it, uh, and then, you know, some of the more recent um, uh, nuts for cheese, which is a, a leader in, in, in plant-based cheese, Margaret Coons, just wonderful business that Margaret started. I uh, joined her about a year ago, invested and, and I chair her board, um, and uh, and we're just uh, establishing that business in both in Canada and the U.S. at a very rapid pace, uh, very really high quality, award winning chef made products. And uh, and my most recent is Bloom uh, out from Vancouver, but uh, um, in superfood uh, latte uh, uh, mixes. And yeah, just I, I all those uh, products are um, I I love the products. I, I eat them at home. Uh, I met the founders. I, I really want to hang out with the founders, and and uh, and then I think there's a great business opportunity, so I can help them grow not only with capital but strategic resources. Yeah, I think that that's a unique thing with you, right? You're investing in them, so you're, you're providing the capital to your point, but you also have the expertise. You've done it before. You've been in the space for a long time, so you are, I mean, the ideal partner for these brands. Yeah, for sure. You know, the the um, a lot of a lot of investors, uh, especially institutional investors, have capital. They understand the capital process, but not a lot of them have operational expertise, yeah. or it's or it's or it's once removed. You know, I, I've uh, I've uh, I not only I have the operational expertise, I I love the game. I'm still in it. You know, it's not yeah. uh, it's something I lo- enjoy doing. So I, I don't want to. I'm a recovering entrepreneur, so I don't want to be operating a business, <laughs> but I, I really like um, I, I really like being involved with the teams and strategizing and help them help to build the team, help to build the strategy, the product strategy, the customer strategy, and I literally can't turn that stuff off. So, um, you know, it, that's that's where yeah, that's where I, I enjoy spending my time doing. Awesome. So, in terms of trends, like you talked about, some of those, like I got to imagine, like mushrooms are going to be a huge trend over the next while. Like I've I've read a few different things, like Michael Pollan, Paul Stamets, um, Daniel Lee, and David Sinclair, and they they all talk about the potential of these mycelia to to kind of revolutionize health and wellness. And I don't know, like that that's got to be a, an interesting space. But is, other than that, is there any other any other trends you wanna you wanna really shout out to or or highlight or well i, I think as I, I think about trends like long-standing trends that we're seeing now and i think i think that, that they're, they they will continue to trend um um you know either need states or, or nutrition based you're going to see more yeah. uh, low sugar uh products uh high protein products more whole food uh, uh whole food products like like you would make it at home um and uh and then and then kind of need states like uh people want weight loss they want they want more energy um they want immunity and uh and and so there's different ways to kind of go at the product i think you'll see more and more cult classic kind of products redone you know if you think about mm-hmm. the success that like a magic spoon would have uh reinventing yeah. cereal and making it 
you know, whether you like it or not, I'm just, you know, a lot of consumers do. And they go, why? Because you can eat your cereal and have it higher protein, lower sugar, right? Um, I think you could you could play that across. Uh, you, you'll see the reinvented Pop-Tart. You'll see that you've already seen the reinvented mac and cheese. Like, yeah, yeah. I think there's yeah. there's a lot there. But then, you know, these highly nutritious products like, like mushrooms um, or, or other superfoods, whether they're ancient superfoods or they're coming from other countries um, that have an impact on people's health. Like they take them and, and all of a sudden their, their, their immune system is better or, or, you know, their, their, their recovery from, uh, from, uh, from exercise is better. Yeah. Um, I, I think those are longstanding trends that are just not going to go away. Yeah. Awesome. I think, yeah, some of those products and it's like magic spoons, an interesting one, right? It's a bit of the nostalgic value of the cereals that you grew up eating that you realize now were, were maybe not so good for you. Well, they're well, offering when- that. But yeah, yeah it, ha- it happens when you get older, you know, yeah. speaking to someone in their mid forties, you want to eat those products, but if you eat those products, <laughs> you don't, you don't, you don't feel good. Right. So it's not yeah. even, the, yeah. the, it's not even the thought that you're not going to feel good. You eat them and you don't feel you good. Know, so yeah. <laughs> if you, if you, if you replace it with something that you're like, oh, I can eat this and, and actually not, not feel crappy, uh, yeah, that, yeah. then it brings, and then, and then it does bring that back with the nostalgia as well. Yeah. Yeah. That's a cool brand. I love, I do love those products. They're, they're pretty interesting. So sort of on the back of that, right, like we're talking about trends in the industry. Uh, one of the things that we've talked to a few founders about is the current economic conditions, because, you know, especially in like plant-based space, you know, we saw a huge, a ton of excitement about it, probably some overvaluations, you know, all of that. And now it, it's taking a bit of a step back, you know, interest rates are up, money's tightening, some com- some small companies are struggling to find funding, some are going out of business. It's very different than what it was two years ago. So maybe and I'd love to know your read on, on sort of what the next 12 to 18 months look like. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I lived through it already, I believe. So it, it looks a lot like uh, 2008, 2009, 2010, mm. you know, same, same, same things happened. Uh, if you have a, you know, your company better be, um, have a strong gross margin, um, have growth potential to it, and you better have cash reserves in the bank to, uh, to, to, to prove that because, you know, uh, even six months, twelve months ago, we were we were we were a uh, 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 we were a founders market. You know, now we're an investors yeah. market. Investors uh, are very savvy. They have the position. Um, there's 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 a huge need for capital for a lot of businesses, and if they don't have those clear fundamentals, there's not like, oh, we're going to grow this business two or three X and our gross margin is going to get better, or we're going to grow our business two or three X and then and then our profitability is going to be there. No, people want to say prove that now. If not. There's there's going to be failures where pe- companies are going to go bankrupt. Uh, there's going to be consolidations where companies have a little bit more scale, so it doesn't make sense for them to go bankrupt, but they're going to be acquired or rolled up into different companies. And then there's the companies that are that are funded. That is their time that they're going to just with smart investments they're going to double down. And that's you know I mentioned that earlier. Mental Harvest was in that position when we raised venture capital. We could continue our spending, organizing our team, investing in new distribution. Two years later, we we were. We were two years ahead of our competitors, and when you think about two yeah. years ahead timeline, that that it's just a different playing field, you know. Um, yeah. And 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 that's what you know excites me, uh, and why I think my portfolio will do so strong is because they are strong brands. They do have great products. They have great margin. They 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 have the right scale now, and 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 they're funded, you know. And so mm-hmm. it's, it, there there isn't a slowing down during this this recessionary time. But for a lot of a lot of businesses, it's it's time to. Uh, it's time to probably make sure that you're focused an inch wide, mile deep. You don't have too many products. If you do cut some of them, if that makes it your margin or your operations better or your profitability uh, better, um, be closer to home, be really frugal and, and, and make sure that you're just ex- with your, your thought in mind to extend your runway of cash flow because cash is king and queen in this kind of environment. Yeah. In, in an inch wide, a mile deep. I like that. That's yeah. Just speaks to the focus needed because you're right. It's, it's very attractive. Like, launch 10 different innovation skews of something and just keep going, but you're not focused on what your core business is. And now you spent all your money on free fills or listing fees or whatever else. Yeah. Right? And, and and it's a trap. A lot of entrepreneurs don't know that. I, yeah. I, I meet entrepreneurs that go, yeah, we did our first million dollars in business. And I'm like, great, congratulations. What's the million dollars made up of? They're like, we're in a thousand retailers or, you know, it's like we have 10 SKUs. I was like, that's a horrible horrible first million dollars in business and and and, and sorry yeah. you know but use that example and, and, yeah, and, yeah. and mds keeps coming up but like you know mds had like surpassed 10 million dollars in sales with three SKUs. you know yeah that's yeah. What, that's what you want to do with a tight retailer base because if you if you're sick if you have if you've made such a great product you should be and you're in a anywhere near a major center you know you should be able to do the first million dollars almost in your in your hometown in your home city with your with one product right and then yeah 
then you have the ability to uh, maybe complemented with online nowadays, but then you have the ability to expand product number two, go to, you know, go, go more outside of your home market. Uh, um, and a lot of entrepreneurs don't realize that they think when, when, you know, uh, Sobeys or Loblaws or, or in the U S like, uh, Kroger or someone comes knocking that they, that they should take that opportunity. But if they don't have enough working capital to, to actually do it, it could be the death trap. They expanded themselves into, yeah. uh, it, it, into a cash flow situation uh, issue and, uh, and they, and they can go to business because of the expansion. Yeah. It makes yeah. sense. Yeah. I mean, if, when you were talking about Manitoba harvest and you bring in PLs, like I know, I know there's lots of companies that are smaller, mid-sized that don't get to like product PLs for a long time. It sounds like you guys were early to that. And I feel like that kind of financial mindset is probably more important for, for people. Oh, yeah. Every business, every, every business, uh, you know, I, I, uh, again, cause I was interested in finance cause my mom was an accountant. I, I, I set up our QuickBooks. Um, I used to look at our PL every single day. What what orders and revenue came in today, and then what expenses that would left the business, so that we could make fine tune. One, I could understand it and see it in real time instead of looking mm, at it yeah. at the end of the month, you know, and yeah. and then make adjustments on the fly. Like, whoa, that's too expensive. Oh, that's a major cost center. Oh, you know, and 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 yeah, the more the the faster that you can fine tune some of those things. But you'd be amazed. I talked to so many entrepreneurs, and some of them don't even have a, a monthly meeting where they review their financial statement and dissect it and and say like how do we make these things better like they just don't they don't they don't have that i would say the discipline uh, more than yeah. even the skill yeah. like they don't they, they haven't set themselves up to do those and and those are um it, it's like reps it's like exercise you need yeah. to do the reps every month and you'll get you'll get stronger in that like I didn't, we, we didn't start out with the best gross margin. I didn't even understand, like, you know, we were probably in the high thirties. And then, and then I, I, I met with one of my founders back in the day at Mentor Harvest and, and he was like, you know, 50% margin is the gold standard. You need 50% margin after your discounts and, and, and all your cost of goods. And then you're going to have enough for a very aggressive sales marketing and, and general administrative spend and still become profitable. And so I was like, oh, okay. Then I in, I engineered our business to 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 deliver on fifty percent margin, and that that you know, I, I, it's it's that's the way you need to do it, right? Like you, you can't you can't be like, yeah, we're twenty five right now, but we're going to be forty in the future on a on a hope and a whim because we're going to have more volume. Yeah. There's there's always headwinds in the future that that uh, that, that counteract that. So um, yeah, it, um, yeah. I, I like smart entrepreneurs that look at their financial statements and and really truly understand them. You got an, and see it all the time, you know, Dragon's Den, Shark Tank, know your numbers, know your numbers, but like internally in your business, you better know your numbers. Totally. Totally. Well, you can't, you can't improve what you're not measuring, right? I think it's, that's a Drucker quote or something like that. something yeah. similar to that. hundred percent. You spoke about discipline and reps and, and kind of process. One of the things we like to ask people on here, and I'm sure this has changed like a, a ton between when you were an operator and now, but how you, how you structure your days, how you organize your time, whether that's, you know, routines on the daily routines on the weekly, et cetera, any insights you'd like to share there in terms of, of things that you found to be great, super essential for you. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And it's changed a lot over the years, but it's been the same for the last you know decade or something. Like I started out in 1998, we were still, the fa the fax was the mode of communication, right? For business. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, and I was a, I was a paper written list guy, um, and, uh, and, and sticky notes and, uh, you know, about probably, you know, 10 years into the business, I went, uh, fully, uh, fully digital with the first Palm pilot and stuff before the iPhone came out and really got popular. And, uh, and so ever since then, I've been, I've been kind of digital all the time. That's morphed into, um, a time block management. So it, outlook is my best friend. Um, everything I do is in outlook. Um, I, I I'm, I'm, I'm less of a fan of lists. I'm more of a fan of, of uh, taking it and putting it on my calendar. My workouts mm -hmm. are in my calendar. Uh, obviously like business calls and stuff are in my calendar, but my deep work sessions, when I'm working on something, writing my book, um, uh, strategizing on a marketing plan, whatever it is, is, is all baked in the calendar. And then, you know, I, I, uh, nowadays I have more, um, uh, kind of freedom to, to readjust that calendar, but you know, in that space, I'm always thinking one day before the next three days, the next seven days or whatever, uh, what my calendar looks like for making sure that I'm achieving as much as I possibly can. Cause I really like to achieve a lot. Um, at the same time, keeping my health and wellness at, 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 at peak for me. And, and, uh, and that's, that's been more and more important over the, uh, over the year. Interesting. So for you, your calendar is kind of like your to-do list. Yeah. In a, in a way. Yeah. Uh, I, I, yeah. Full, full time blocking. So like, if I, if I make a scratch pad list of like, Oh, something came to me, I have to do that. Um, I'll be like, okay, when am I going to do it? Uh, what, what, you know, what, what yeah. needs to get done? What am I going to do it? And I put it in my calendar and, uh, uh, and then it gets done, right? Like I'm not, uh, outside of that, 
my kind of list would be more aspirational. Like each year I, I pick five things that I'm going to focus on personally, um, five things that I'm going to focus on for my family and five things I'm going to focus on in business. Um, give you an example of, you know, one of each and like, you know, personal would be me like, um, focus on my yoga and meditation. It's not a, like, I want to do 200 yoga classes. It's just, yeah. it's, it's a, it's a, it's a North star for me. So when I look, I say, Oh yeah. Okay. Um, that's, that's yeah. where my focus and, or, you know, for business, it was like getting my IC director's education was last year's and, and I accomplished that, you know, or, you know, spending more father son time, date time with my son might be, might be one of those indicators. And so those things are more my list, but I, I just, I have those that I, every, every once in a while I, I stare at them and I go, oh yeah, that's, that's where I want to be for, uh, for the kind of long game, but my short game is all, it's very prescribed and, and, and I believe, um, I just accomplished more that way. Yeah. I like the five things personally, professionally, and family. I think that uh, yeah, it's came from really you know amazing. YPO. I think I learned. I've been part of Young Presidents Organization. Uh, I'm not sure if you know YPO, but uh, uh, executive leadership group, the largest in the world. I've uh, been a member for 13 years, and they they do a lot of um, they do a lot of work on on training best principles and and uh, and so I, you know, EO would be uh, entrepreneurs organization would be a, a kind of another similar organization, but those that. Um, kind of working on myself, uh, working on myself as as a person, working on myself as an executive, um, you know, as a parent and stuff has really helped me uh, just keep the personal growth pedal to the metal. Love it, love it. Hey, you mentioned you mentioned you're writing a book. Yeah. Tell, uh, what, anything you want to share or, or yeah, or yeah tease out? I don't know how far sure. along you. No, it la- yeah, it launches in uh, launches uh, in March uh, 2023, so um, coming up pretty soon. And um, uh, the book title is Grow. 12 unconventional lessons for becoming an unstoppable entrepreneur. Um, so I, I believe I've done entrepreneurship a little different. I, you know, part of it from my, you know, leaving school so young, part of it by, you know, health and wellness and building community and giving back and things, lessons in there that uh, I think a lot of entrepreneurs are going to, to be able to learn from, um, you know, over the last little bit, it's been, uh, um, it's been on my list for a long time, but over the last number of years, I've been working on all my mentorship uh, pieces. You know, I have the founder to mentor podcast um yeah i started writing the unstoppable entrepreneur newsletter mm-hmm. um and uh, and then we launched fatafleischman.org which is my uh mass mentorship toolbox where um greg fleischman and i just made available for free online uh all of our major tools and templates that we've used to grow our business from from investor lists and presentation sales and marketing docs hr hiring docs kind of everything and uh, and so those are those are my kind of four the book will be the fourth um major give back for entrepreneurs to help them grow. Love it. Love it. Yeah. Those, those are amazing. That's great. I'll look out for that book. I love the unstoppable entrepreneur kind of tagline. I think that's, that's pretty cool. Another question that we like to ask all of our guests is, um, you know, what is a brand right now that you love that's out there? It can be one of the ones you're working with. It can be some other brand. What is a brand or product that you uh, really love what they're doing? You want to give a shout out to? Well, I mean, it, they're mentioned like, honestly, they're, they're mentioned like 10 times a day, 20 times a day. And it, it, it but Midday Squares keeps on impressing me. Uh, not only, you know, not only it's, it's, it's their openness to share their story, you know, like yeah. I just, I, I'm caught, I know the team and I'm, I'm, I'm coaching the all three founders on growth and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, a, I'm their global growth advisor to the founders and I'm, I'm, I'm involved as part of the strategy, but you know, every day that things come out, like you know, they they get hacked by uh, uh, you know, like a I cyber hype hacker. Yeah. They, put, they they put a video out there that like one disarms it for them, but two yeah. educate educates everyone else on it, and is yeah. is 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 educational and fun for people to follow along. Like that stuff just blows me away every day, and 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 I I've been saying this for like the three years that I've been involved with them is like that's the new media as a brand is the new way. Like, you know what, you don't have to be all elaborate. Um, you, yeah. you could shoot it on your, your iPhone or whatever, but you got to get your story out there. And, and, and I think people can, people can just learn from MDS and, and, and how they're doing it. Uh, uh, but they, they literally Jake and Les and man. Yeah. Their authenticity is unreal. Uh, the, what they put out is fun. Yeah. I, I'm with you on that. And it feels like they, like to your point, it's like, they turn lemons into lemonade. Like all business problems are part of the story. Yeah, for sure. And the journey, yeah. and, right? So, and it's very. I think it's very clear to everyone that's watching. It's clear to me being involved. Like they're just getting started. You know. Yeah. It's a, it's, yeah. It's, it's a sizable business already for for three four years in, and they're just getting started. Like it's they have big aspirations, and and uh, and I believe they're gonna they're gonna get there. Yeah. Look right. out for cookie dough, everyone. 
Wow. Yeah. That's, that's, my, that's, my, that's my favorite. I've, I've been, I said, whoever wants to be, take <laughs> over and under bets. I, I say within a year that cookie dough takes over uh, peanut butter as the number one skew. Ooh. It's a, uh, it's amazing product. I've, I've, uh, I've, they left me alone at a trade show booth in Vancouver uh, a couple <laughs> couple of weeks ago, and and, and I, I filled my uh, I, I filled my backpack with cookie dough samples. You're uh, you're eating it in the morning too, not even waiting till midday. I bet. You know, it's it's midday. It's midday somewhere uh, all the time. <laughs> love yeah. it, love it. Last question we'd like to ask people: just general. If there's one or or two things you wanted to give a, as kind of career insight on a, your soapbox to to the young kind of new, new to the industry professionals, what would those things be? You know, if someone's listening to this, I, I, I say like, I would love to, you know, dig into, go to mikefado.ca, dig into all the yeah. tools and, and what I'm giving back for. And then, and, and, um, and practice some of that for a bit and then, and then drop me a line and, and, and let me know how that's helped. Uh, that, that'd be my encouragement because there's, yeah. there's, there's a yeah. tremendous amount of, uh, of sharing. There. Perfect. We will, uh, we'll share all of that when we, when we post we'll this see. so that people have direct line to to find kind of everything from your podcast newsletter uh we'll let them know the book's coming in a few months and and yeah that's a that's a great shout out yeah sweet awesome awesome really appreciate you coming on the show good meeting you and, and catching up with you and thanks for sharing your journey i think a lot of advice throughout that people will find incredibly interesting yeah thanks again for having me awesome thanks so much mike have a good night all the best yeah. take care Well, that was awesome. Mike is just a good dude and invested in some crazy cool companies. I loved that. I loved how much he was giving back too. What a what a cool thing to do. Alex, what'd you think? Yeah, super thoughtful guy. I thought he was really, uh, really down to earth. And I really liked the way he he was approaching the problems he was talking about and thinking about them and his general, his general kind of mission seems to be a great one. So uh, yeah, really impressed with Mike. I think for me, uh, key takeaway, I, I think there's more that I'll probably get as I re-listen to this, but one key takeaway for me was just the importance of being financially minded in business, building that analytical muscle and the routines to support it, being aware of where you are and measuring and everything from building P&Ls and, and, and setting proper benchmarks for your, your business to to really secure it was was definitely a big key takeaway and then kind of on the back of that in this current context the importance of margins and keeping yourself ambitious and i think it's something we've heard from others like like jay carls you got to keep pushing forward and keep the business in an aggressive stance because if you don't it's not gonna you're not gonna get any points for for conservatism in, in this context and it's an opportunity for you to to take the edge on your your competitors who might be standing on their back heel so that, those are mine how about you justin yeah i i completely agree with you about his disciplined approach to the financials i think that's something in cpg that a lot of companies have missed the mark on almost you know similar to the tech space a little bit like they haven't proven out profitability of their product and they're hoping scale fixes that but to his point, a million different things come in the way. So really understanding financials is so incredibly important. I like just one line he used, which was one inch wide and one mile deep, right? It's like focus, the importance of just focusing on the financials, on individual products. It's so tempting to expand into a million different areas. And really, you need to focus on your core business and develop it. And, and exactly like you said, Midday Square is a great example of that $10 million with three SKUs. That, that to be successful, especially in this climate, especially in this economy, is super important and great advice. I think the other piece was go to his website and check it out, right? He's got free, like he's a proven founder that has multiple exits and he's giving away free advice, tools, and how he grew his business. Everyone listening to this should take advantage of that. Everyone in the world should take advantage of that uh, because why not? It's, it's a proven method and it's free. Agreed. Agreed. Well, everyone, big thank you to Mike for making himself available and sharing his story and all of his insights with us. Thank you to you guys for tuning in and, and listening to this far into the podcast. And if you haven't already, please throw us a like, uh, a five-star review on either Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening. Don't forget to follow us on social media, LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, etc. And uh, until next time, everyone, see you soon for our next interview. Thanks.